Hi, and welcome to the Darko Audio Podcast. My name is Darren Henley, and I live in Phoenix, Arizona. I'll be chatting with John Darko, who lives in Berlin, Germany. So, John, how many people do you think are going to listen to this? I think if I'm lucky, 27 and maybe a few <laughs> pets. Well, certainly from the outset, I mean, this is number one. Um, and I think I think the reason I wanted really to do a podcast was because in between all the articles that I write and now the videos that I make as well, in between all those big days where I'm making content, I hate that term, but yeah, making content, um, I have thoughts about all sorts of little things that I think, oh, I should turn that into an article, but I, I kind of run out of time. And sometimes they're so small that they don't, I would worry that the article would be just too short to write. But maybe it's sometimes it's the little things that people really appreciate. In, you know, in, in a review, they'll kind of go, oh, I didn't know that little app could do that. Or I didn't know that deck had that kind of input, you know. So I wanted to sort of give a platform to the smaller ideas um, that I think of or I discover or I learn and pass those on. Cool. Should I give an example? Yeah, sure. Okay. So uh, a few weeks ago, my I, I mean, I like to run my TV through my hi-fi system. And a few weeks ago, my TV was... I move gear around all the time and the speakers were in front of me, the TV was in front of me, but the, the electronics are off the left. And it was just too far for my Toslink cable to run from the TV to the deck. So it turns out that the Amazon Fire Stick TV that I use can stream Bluetooth and that's a Bluetooth output. So what that means is that is I can connect a Bluetooth streamer like the Auralic Ares Mini. I can have that firing into a deck in my rack, but have the Amazon Fire Stick TV thing that's plugged into my TV and powered by USB from the same TV. I can have that stream audio over Bluetooth from a TV on one side of the room to the hi-fi rack on the other. And I thought that was really cool. From there, I got my Sony Bluetooth headphones and turned those on and then paired those with my Amazon Fire Stick TV and watched Netflix with a pair of headphones on, Bluetooth headphones. And there was, there was no wire trailing across the floor from, you know, from my headphones to my hi-fi or my headphones to my TV. Yeah, that's cool. And then I thought, hang on a minute, people with Bluetooth speakers can do this. If they've got an Amazon Fire Stick TV, they can route the audio from that to their Bluetooth speaker because the Bluetooth speaker they have is more than likely going to sound a hell of a lot better than the speakers built into their TV. I mean, I don't know about you, but I find modern TVs, they sound absolutely ghastly. It's true. Yeah, I think that's very cool. That's not something I've done. Mm. Uh, I currently have my, my TV wired into uh, a small one of the uh, NAD little digital lamps oh yeah is it the um the d3020 it's the 7050 ah the bigger one okay nice. and uh a sound bar and a small subwoofer from svs 
See, that's all wires. You can do it wirelessly with this Bluetooth method. Obviously, it's lossy streaming. I mean, I yep. don't know about you, and this is a weird thing. If it's TV sound, I do enjoy it, but I'm 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 not super um, fussy ab- about it in the same way that I am. Obviously, I'm about music. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, I would prefer to go Toslink from my TV into a deck because it is lossless, but sometimes that's just not possible. So, you know, like for example, if even if my TV did not have a Toslink output, I think most of them do nowadays. But if it didn't then I would have to go Bluetooth out of my Amazon Fire Stick. And I could go into my, I could go from the Amazon Fire Stick into the LS50 wireless if I wanted to. Um, I've got the the Audio, Audio Quest Beetle. That's could cool. use that. There's the iFi i1. That's also a Bluetooth receiver. There are lots of products now that have Bluetooth reception on them, even though they're high-end audio products. I think that's kind of interesting. That's good. I think that I think that this is, again, this mm. isn't something that I've done here at home, um, but there's mm. always a trade, right? We've talked about this before. And if you're trading a little bit of, of mm. sound quality from, an, from a hi-fi audio file perspective for comfort, for example, being able to sit on your couch with a pair of headphones on mm. that are wireless and watch a movie or television and... For whatever your reasons, whether you just want to have private listening or you need to because you don't want to yeah. make any noise yeah. Um, yeah. for others in, in the build. That's that's awesome. And it's totally worth the trade, right? So I think that's very cool. And it's something I might end up looking into um, mm. at some point in the future. Well, it's also, I think, very relevant to many people who live in this city in Berlin. Um, for readers that don't mm-hmm. know, I live in Berlin now. And many of the apartments here are converted old buildings with very, very, very poor um, noise insulation between floors. So generally here, I, I mean, I don't live in one of those buildings. I'm very lucky. But m- the majority of the people I know here do. So if they want to watch TV at three in the morning, they need headphones. They really, I mean, to be considerate to the neighbors, they need headphones. So, you know, pulling the sort of Bluetooth streaming trick yeah, c- kills two birds with one stone. It's It's super easy to do. But it's it's you know it's one of these things that's buried in the settings, which you probably don't really, th- you wouldn't really think about this necessarily. I mean, it's your TV, but I think some TVs also have Bluetooth output. I think I don't know, but I think so. Oh, that's cool. I I wasn't aware of that. I think that that's great. I mean, if you're on a budget or if you're in a again, you need to be quiet. You know, for maybe college kids you're in a dorm room you have a tv that has a bluetooth output and then all you need to buy is a pair of headphones how cool is that yeah not only is it you know saving relationships with neighbors but it just sounds so much better than the tv's own speakers right um i was at my buddy's house on the weekend and he's got a pair of um adam a7x active loudspeakers very nice nice they look a bit masculine you know, kind of black and sharp edges and whatever. But he was, you know, he was, he was just extolling their virtues by talking about how he runs, basically he runs his Spotify, all his TV, all of his audio goes through his TV and out through his speakers. And I think, I can't remember how the conversation came about, but he he was going to, well, let's, let's, let's listen to the TV speakers. Let's, let's just kill the Adams for a minute go back to the TV speakers, and he did, and it was awful. It was absolutely awful. 
I mean, he's got this wonderful, <laughs> very expensive Samsung flat panel. So nice. But the, t the speakers in it are just a piece So, Darren, you wanted to tell me about um, a documentary. Yeah, so the film is called The Art of Listening, and it's a documentary that was released in 2017. And essentially, it's an attempt to bring fans of music closer to the music. They talk to composers and musicians and producers and engineers who all work on music, you know, um, within their specific disciplines. And uh, it's a really interesting and insightful film, and they talk a lot about the technology. Mm -hmm. At one point, Andrew Sheps, a well-known engineer, is talking about the technology, uh, streaming specifically, and how initially we were focused on building the vehicle, right? And getting music to people via streaming. And there were limitations, so lossy mm -hmm. formats, for example. And that now, that's no longer an issue. Bandwidth has increased. And so now we can focus on bringing high-quality audio back to consumers. So what, yeah, so what you're saying is, is that you don't, we no longer really need um, lossy codecs like Ogvorbis or MP3 is obviously the most well-known codec. We no longer need these codecs because storage is cheap. Bandwidth is um, abundant, um, and he's saying that we could theoretically, what we're just ev what everyone should just be like, using flax now. That's part of it. Yeah, uh, they talk about also the artist's intent. So much of what mm. goes into the recording is how it sounds, right? Artists spend years at times trying to perfect this record and with many playback systems we're losing a lot of that information and perhaps some of what the artist originally intended so they talk a bit about that as well mm. at the end of the film they talk to gabriel roth from daptone records so uh, bands from daptone sharon jones and the dap kings charles bradley the budos band bands like that a lot mm. of soul and funk come out of Daptone. Gabriel Roth is being interviewed. And at the end of the film, he's talking about mm -hmm. how we listen to music and how sound quality can improve your experience or deepen your listening experience. And he says, and I love this, he says, love your music more, not more of it. Because he's talking about people who have 80,000 tracks that they can stream. And, and he's saying, but there's only that one song that makes you feel like, you know, anything's possible. And so he's talking about getting closer to the music. And that's what Hi-Fi does to some extent, right? <clears throat> that's an interesting point about the number of tracks that you have available to you. Because it, it's almost like having mm, an infinite supply of food. Ignoring the weight, the weight gain and the, you know, the health benefits. You know, infinite choices. I mean, choices paralyze people, as we know, paralyze our ability to make decisions. But I don't know whether people are necessarily happier with more. There's this, this idea that more stuff plus choice equals extra happiness. 
which is, I guess, the backbone of conservative economics, maybe. It's like Brian Eno once said that, you know, like, with a, with a computer and having infinite possibilities um, at your disposal in, you know, in a recording studio is actually debilitating. It's better to have fewer options so that you you can you're more likely to be creative with um fewer possibilities or fewer tools at your disposal i'm not sure i quoted him at all well, i didn't quote him at all but i'm not sure i've got that idea completely right and we might have to access that i think that that um, makes sense though i would agree with that and i i would add i think that on top of having access to everything let's say right through a streaming service Mm. Uh, not only do you have unlimited options but many people don't even choose right part of the service is you can just click one button and you can get a a playlist a stream sent to your sent to you that's curated by either other people or an algorithm or a combination of those things so it Mm. actually i think there's a level of which I think they're called lean back listeners, aren't they? Yeah. They just want to push play and then lean back, right? Yeah, and they're taking whatever's sent to them, right? So they're actually, in, in some cases, not even making choices. Someone else mm. is doing that for them, which I think is an interesting topic as well. But Yeah, I think it's healthy to have a good mix. Yep. Sometimes you just don't want to choose. Sometimes you're tired. You're like, I don't care. I just want to listen to something. Yep. It's like that quote in, um, in the movie High Fidelity. You know, the adaptation of the Nick Hornby book, right? You know, where John Cusack runs a record store, of course. And I think it's—is this is Jack Black's breakout role, and he's playing something obnoxious? I think it's Walking on Sunshine, which is pretty obnoxious. <laughs> yeah, I know. And scene. John Cusack turns it off and just says, "Like, I just want to listen to something I can ignore," which <laughs> I think is perfect because sometimes you just want to listen to something you can ignore, something that just floats in the background. Um like Bell and Sebastian, which I think is what he played. Um, Sometimes it's just nice to have something you can ignore, but it's there and you can sort of dip into it a little bit. But other times it's good to make choices, I guess, and really engage with those choices. Come back to your earlier point made by this documentary that we, you know, the lossy codex are essentially superfluous now. Um, uh, this is one of those other little sort of things that I think of that could be articles but didn't quite make it into print or on the web. <clears throat> um, I often imagine if we could give, if if we could just, if I could just drop a switch and SoundCloud, Spotify, Mixcloud, Pandora, all are now streaming flack. They're no longer streaming lossy audio it's all flack it's invisible to the user they don't have to do anything it's just it just happens overnight so they get a better listening experience theoretically right so thinking okay right would could this ever happen and i, I think there's there is a, sub, a fairly substantial roadblock to this happening and it's it's not because of the music industry it's because of internet companies and specifically internet companies that are also mobile phone providers um, like Verizon uh, or Vodafone or whoever because when you get your mobile phone contract you get a certain amount of data per month and generally with a mobile phone contract it's not like a home phone contract with a or with a home ISP where you get you know 10 
20, 30, 100, 200 gig. On a mobile phone, you get three gig a month or six gig a month, right? Right. And if you're if you're suddenly being, I guess, essentially being forced to stream flack, you're going to burn through that. What? Let's say an album is 300 meg and you've got six gigs, so 20 albums and your data allowance for the month is, is, is up in smoke. And I guess millennials, young people, people younger than us, they don't have home phone connections. All of their internet comes from their mobile. So they're not going to be too happy that, yeah, they're getting a, you know, maybe maybe they, they like the nice listening experience, but it's, it's, it's annoying because it's going to, they have them have to really or say, yeah, but they can go to cafes, they get a Wi-Fi networks and offline content. But that's, that's again, that's another nuisance. So I don't think we're there yet in being able to deliver flax for everyone. It would be lovely, but I don't think it's, I think we need to see data caps of say 50 right. gig or more come to mobile phone providers before that last roadblock is removed. I think this is probably why Spotify are reluctant to move to Flack because they know that people are going to be waking up to text messages mm-hmm. from their <laughs> from their mobile cell phone providers saying you've you know you've you've reached eighty percent or ninety percent of your data and they're going to be thinking what what the hell yeah like how did that happen because not I mean only audiophiles and people that are really interested in this kind of stuff really understand that. A flack is, you know, in, in the main, like ten times or eight times the size of an MP3 or whatever, you know, or Ogvorbis. So, I think, I mean, I've always thought that, you know, if you're going to give people better quality, especially the mass market, just give it to them automatically. Don't don't ask them to take an interest in it and come to you. Just give it to them. Don't even don't even charge them a premium. And this is this is one. I know MQA gets a lot of stick. I mean, forget about its MQA for the moment and forget about the kind of the technical tussle that's going on on the internet is that mm-hmm. through through with, with MQA technology, Tidal have given their hi-fi tier access to high-res streaming at no additional charge. Now, I'm not saying all of it sounds better, but some of it does. Then, you know, certainly better than... Um, some of the you know some of the the red book masters but it's you know mm-hmm. it's it happened invisibly pretty much and it's you know it's it's effectively free so i'd love to right. see um spotify turn on flags for everyone but that's just not going to happen right now not with data caps being as they are that in combination with the general population's reluctance to pay more for their streaming services maybe? oh that's another hot button issue of mine yeah well the thing is yeah. i don't think you should i mean if, if again if i ruled the world streaming <laughs> would not be 10 10 bucks a month it would be 50 right just so that artists get a proper cut they get paid i mean i think the only reason that streaming services charge 10 and not 50 is because in their ascendancy they were they, in the mid noughties when, when Spotify launched 10 years ago the competition wasn't CDs it was free downloads um, commonly right. referred to as illegal downloads um, 
Whereas if, if those services had sprung up in the late 90s or early noughties, the competition would, would have been CDs. I mean, can you imagine like being a, I mean, I was a rabid CD purchaser in the 90s. If somebody had come along yep. to me and said, hey, John, you can have any album you want streamed over the internet for 50 bucks a month. I'd be like, what? <laughs> give me, give me, give me <laughs> right. that. Absolutely give me that. I think many people would have been that way, but the industry, as we know, and this has been said too many times, but were too slow to move so that they weren't competing against CDs when they launched streaming. They were competing against free, so it's 10 bucks because 50 bucks a month, I think it's, it's not entirely unreasonable. Not at all. Not in the absolute sense, in the relative sense to 10, yeah. No, I think that's absolutely right. I think I think that the the phrase that came to mind that in some senses it's a crisis of perception, right? So, and that's very yes. dramatic, but but I think that in part it is very much so about perception of music and and the the people who are younger who did not grow up with physical media, who grew up with music mm. coming out of any number of mobile devices they don't have the same reference right that you and i do for example because i i also i also had i don't know a a huge number of cds in the 90s and and prior to that um you know there was vinyl of course and and vinyl's making its own Mm. comeback in the mainstream apparently but i do think that in many cases they just don't know right Music was always free. <laughs> well, yeah, and I think that's. I, I would I even. I'd love to see. Spot. I mean, this is the thing: is that once you get into these, but once you become a big business, and you need to be a big business to be viable in this space. Once you are a big business, then jacking your rate by even two or three bucks a month could really put a dent in your subscriber base. Mm-hmm. And obviously, anti anti competition laws would not allow. Spotify, Tidal, Apple Music, or to collude and go, right, tomorrow we're all putting our prices up to 20, whether people like it or not, because that's also would be illegal. So we kind of sort of stuck at this this arbitrary 10 bucks a month, which I think is insufficient. Yeah, I agree. I, I, mean, I mean, I buy records a lot, and you know, I spend, what, 25, 30 bucks on a record? Uh-huh. That's three months of Spotify for one album. And... If you know, if I'm going to be really honest, like a, yes, my vinyl rig sounds better, but when I get the record home and play it, like heavens, the heavens don't open up and heavenly angels don't swoop down, <laughs> singing to me hallelujahs of oh my god, you've got the best sound quality ever. It's a, I mean, really, I mean, this is again a misperception. It's a little bit better, but I mean, if you had to quantify it, what five percent, ten percent? I'm sure there'll be listeners out there going, oh my God, my vinyl rig is $400,000 and it sounds you know, 5,000% better than an MP3. But for most people, that's just not the case. Even for most audiophiles, that's not the case. It, it sounds a little bit better. Sure. You can listen for longer maybe. it's Maybe it's more nourishing. I don't know. But it's not, it's not this revelatory experience that it is billed as by the mainstream press, billed as by certain sections of the audiophile community. Um, and so when you're spending 25 bucks on an album, and then you look at how much you're spending on even 20 bucks for Tidal for a month, the numbers just don't add up in, you know, when it comes to 
to records, to vinyl. So again, streaming is too cheap. Maybe records are too expensive as well, but streaming is definitely too cheap. Like Darren, who are you? I am a music lover and a musician and a gearhead. Uh, I am an audiophile, but I tend to use the word gearhead because I, I love music, but I do tend to get into the gear. It's funny how <laughs> a lot of audio don't like to identify as such. <laughs> and I think that I have been reluctant mm. in the past to use the term audiophile as well. I think there, I think that there is a stigma and, and, and to your earlier point, I think in a, in our conversation before the cast, you, you mentioned this and I think that you're right. I think that, um, there's no reason it, it, maybe it's considered nerdy right now. The mainstream looks at, you know, someone comes to your house and they see these speakers that even if they're not big by audiophile mm. standards, they're huge because most people are using small Bluetooth mm. speakers. So they see anything that stands on the floor, for example, or on a stand and they're like, what is that? Right? So the perception is one of it's either weird or wow. And for a few, it's kind of cool and exciting, but most people don't understand it. Maybe I don't know. So I think what's happened to audio files is they've become slightly embarrassed. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I think audiophiles should own their interest in in hardware and software as well. I mean, just the stuff that makes the, the music they want to listen to sound better. Own, own the interest in, in the in the in the stuff. It's fine. I mean, it's a bit like I guess it's a bit like a I don't know, like a Linux developer saying, "Well, I'm you know, I'm not really I'm not really a computer guy." No, I don't. No, don't confuse me with those guys. I mean, yeah, no, come on, you are, you know. You're an audiophile. You're into you, you're into the gear as much as you are the music, and that's okay, as long as you don't let the tail wag the dog. And I think this is where some people sort of tend to go a little bit wrong. They go so far into the gear and into the formats that they'll start, you know, they'll choose music because it's twenty four ninety six PCM or because it's DSD or even because it's vinyl. And I, this is why I kind of identify as a music first audiophile in that I play a, I don't know, an REM or a Boards of Counter record because those are the albums I want to hear that day. Not because I've got REM as 24192 from HD tracks or because I've got some fantastic needle drop of the Boards of Counter music as the rights children. No, I just want to hear those records. And if they happen to be in those fancy audiophile formats, then great. That's nice. It's an extra bonus. But it's a bit like a like a healthy diet you can't have too many carbs or, or you can't even have can you have too much protein i guess you could but you know you have to keep a balance Anything more to say about that but yeah like I, mean, I guess i do think i do think that we lose our way sometimes um because i've played music and and you know first i was a music lover but then i i became a musician and so my perspective is is from from that angle it's, it, it does come back to the music always and i definitely get into the gear mm. and i've definitely gone to the point to where i felt like i was no longer focused on the music mm. where it was too much about the playback and then you know and then i sort of reined myself in because that is ultimately what it's about is a better listening experience so when i talk to my musician friends about 
music mm-hmm. or or when I think about music from that perspective from a from an artist's perspective I think about this an artist might spend years recording a mm-hmm. record and who knows what kind of money, right? If they're independent, then they're probably paying for it themselves and they're spending as much as they can afford and as much mm-hmm. time as they possibly can mm-hmm. to make it sound the best that they can with the tools available. And the sound of the record is a huge component mm-hmm. of the overall vision. It's not just the lyric and the melody. Those are the things we remember as listeners primarily. But the guitar tones, the overall mm-hmm. sonic quality has just as much to do with how what mm-hmm. they're trying to communicate that the lyric and that the beat does, mm-hmm. right? And we lose a lot of that information, right, with lower quality audio. So another argument, and this is very precious, yes, but one one angle that I think about often is that, you know, how many artists forgive me i need to clear this in my head okay so most artists almost all i would imagine go into this with everything they have to make it sound the best they possibly can knowing that very few Mm -hmm. people will actually know how Mm -hmm. it's supposed to sound right they go into the studio it sounds amazing in the studio they've put all this time months and years recording this music knowing that no one will ever hear it Mm. Or very few people in the mainstream will actually hear it the way that they intended. I, th- I think it was wasn't it Joy Division who came out of the studio in the late seventies of having recorded their first single, and then hearing the seven inch played back, they uh, apparently the band felt absolutely crushed that it sounded nothing like that which they heard in the studio, and that was a you know a vinyl seven inch, but. <laughs> also, we, we, I mean, people like to kind of poo-poo MP3s, but <clears throat> playback hardware yeah. is is fun now than it ever was, yeah. and that we give it credit for. I mean, you know, even even Apple earbuds or earpods as they now are, are light years ahead of the earphones that I would have used with my Sony Walkman. That's true. Um, back in the late eighties light years ahead they're much much better so yeah the source you know and, and i was using a cassette so could we argue that a cassette yes it's pure analog but is it really right it, i would say it was lower resolution than an mp3 so mp3 plus apple earpods is going to sound better than the portable audio system that i had when i was a teenager so uh, you know i sorry i'm trying to link that to the joy division mm-hmm. story where you know, the, maybe the system, maybe the, the little record player or what the speakers they used to play back their first seven right. inch was contributing to their disappointment. But I think you know, like to, to bring it um, full circle, and this is the this is the problem audiophiles face in trying to convince their friends to kind of get better yeah. gear is that if you if you don't if you've never heard what's missing, then how can you miss it? So yeah, if you're if you're, if you're trolling along, listen to Spotify on, I don't know, even a hundred dollar pair of headphones, you'd be quite happy. I, I think you'd be enjoying the music, right? Just as much as I do, maybe more if you're younger, because that's what young people are paid to do is to enjoy music. I mean, it's your, well, not so much nowadays, but it's a cultural identity as much as it is uh, anything else. I mean, you really do 
get into it pretty hard when you're younger. But I think it's only when you kind of tip into your 30s that you have a little bit more disposable income. And some people ask, hmm, what if? What if I get a better pair of speakers or an amp and, you know, I stop using this Bluetooth thing or this, I don't know, this all-in-one system that I've had since I was a student? You know, that what if? Um, But generally to get off the ground with music playback nowadays you don't need to go and buy an audio system you have a computer and you have a phone and that's it you can listen to music you can watch tv you can do everything so there's no sort of initial hurdle to to go and buy an audio system just to play a record or to play a cassette now it's built into your phone and your computer done so darren i have a question for you so is do you own currently own or have you ever used or you know or no do you currently own a piece of gear that you dig so much that if you were to lose it break it or if something were to you know fall on it that you would just go out and buy it again immediately assuming you have the funds Yeah I think my audio quest nighthawks uh, my headphones I I use them daily I really like the the sonic character. They're ultra comfortable, as you know, um, mm-hmm. and they're not so expensive that that I would hesitate. I think that would probably be the number one. Hmm. I have an amp Some, that I had hmm. built for me. It's a, a tube amp, but it was built recently. Um, by a guy named Matt Formanek in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And mm-hmm. it was built to my spec to some degree. It's a hand-built tube amp. It's gorgeous. And if if that melted down or blew up, um, I would want to replace it, but that would be a much larger <laughs> investment. So it would be it would be less easy. So the Nighthawks are a are um no-brainer. Yeah. Tell me, is that amplifier, that tube amplifier, is it a headphone amp or a speaker amp? It's actually both. So it's it's an old, um, uh, it's not old. It's based on the 45 power tube, right? So mm-hmm. very old tube based on an old tube circuit, but mm-hmm. but updated by, by Matt. Um, and it drives headphones most days, but it can drive sensitive, very sensitive speakers. It's only a couple of watts. Mm-hmm. And does Matt have a website that people could look up? Or oh yeah, absolutely. So the business is called um, Toolshed Amps, mm-hmm. and my amp is called the Euphoria Stereo Forty Five, and it's a forty-five driven tube amp, about about two watts. It's a, primarily a headphone amp, but mine has both impedance and um, output switches, so I can I can drive. For example, I have a pair of a couple pair of speakers um, that are very sensitive. And so mm. I use it in uh, for both. What speakers are you? So I have an old pair of, of Klipsch speakers, um, mm. the uh, the Forte Series One, which are ninety eight dB. Mm-hmm. And I I mentioned earlier one of my vintage audio projects that I um, worked on a couple years ago, and those were a pair of Altic Lansings, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, basically a. Of an old voice of the theater speaker, which are wow, 
ultra yeah not the so not like the a5s or the a7s the huge boxes i don't have that kind of room hmm. but i wanted to i wanted to for my own education experience um what they sounded like and i also wanted a project i could get my hands on so i found a pair of the a8s i'm not sure if you're familiar with them but they're the smaller speaker so in the theater they would have been on the sidewall up on the wall mm-hmm. they're they're 12 about 12 inches deep but they're huge they're 42 inches tall and about 30 inches wide mm-hmm. they're very large 16 inch uh, low frequency driver and the 32b bent horn it's a two-way okay um they're less popular among the folks who are into the altex most people go for the a5s and sevens mm-hmm. um with the different horn Anyway, I don't want to get too deep into that, but I decided to go with the A8s because I was interested in Altec and wanted to learn about it, how it sounded, and also I rebuilt the crossovers from scratch. I went really deep. Anyway, the bottom line is I wanted to learn about the old speakers and and understand how they sounded, and so I bought a pair of these A8s on eBay. They were in San Diego, California, and I actually drove out and picked them up and brought them home. They're about 110 pounds a piece. They're, you know, huge and ugly. They are not. So talking about compromises, um, they're big and ugly. They're not pretty at all. <laughs> I mean, there's... <laughs> so, did you have to rebox them? I, like, I, rehouse the I haven't yet, but that's, that was part of the plan was to get mm. them running and then yeah. see how much I like the sound of it. And if I did... Um, I could use them in a smaller space because they're very shallow. They're big, but they're mm-hmm. very shallow. They're wide and tall. Um, and then I thought, well, what if I could, you know, get somebody to build me some cabinets that look better and that, you know, maybe um, get the same volume, but um, something that might be a little more attractive. And that's a long-term mm-hmm. plan. But again, that was a project that's sort of been, um, you know, on hold until I have time and budget to to work on it. Um, so you're using you're using your tube amp at the moment for your Nighthawks. Yeah. Uh, okay. That's interesting. You have been listening to the Darko Audio podcast, featuring me, Darren Henley, and audio writer and publisher John Darko. You can hear more of my work at thenewold.co. And read more of John's at darko.audio. Until next time.